Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The Radical. Fundamental principles of freedom. Rational self-interest. And individual rights. This is The Yaron Brook Show. All right, welcome everybody. Welcome to Ron Book Show on this uh, Saturday night. I hope you're having a great first day of your weekend. And uh, tomorrow should be good. Today was a beautiful day after the uh, tropical storm that hit on uh, Wednesday and Thursday. Friday, Saturday here in Puerto Rico have been gorgeous. Sun is out, the ocean is calm, and it is uh, it is quite beautiful. So. Um, yeah, it's good. It's good. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, wherever you are, things are good. Um, that tropical storm is heading up the coast soon. Uh, ho- uh, I think hitting uh, Florida and then um, and then on to uh, huh. what is going on here? That's weird. Something's not. Oh, there it is. That's better. Um, and then soon to hit, I guess, the Carolinas, and then yeah, I guess you're going to get a lot of rain. Not much more than that. A little bit of wind. A lot of rain. Uh, we got quite a bit of wind, quite a bit of rain, uh, but this is—it's offshore in in Florida and the rest of the country. All right, uh, today we're going to do kind of a news roundup, news roundup. So um, I've got a bunch of topics, if uh, a bunch of topics to cover, it, depending on kind of how the super chat, how the super chat uh, questions roll in. We'll uh, we'll see how much of this we actually cover. Uh, of course, Super Chat uh, is available on YouTube. Uh, you can all join over on YouTube. Uh, you can um, ask questions, put a dollar sign next to them. Uh, of course, the uh, higher the amount, the more likely your question is to be answered promptly. I try to answer all the questions, though, so hopefully um, nobody feels uh, cheated or nobody feels like their question was not answered. Um, all right, good. Wow, we've already got some negativity on the chat. That's good. Always good to start negative. That puts me in a feisty mood, and I think some of you enjoy that. All right, we start with TikTok. 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 I don't know what TikTok is. Anybody know what TikTok is? It's some kind of social networking thing, video thing, fun, short videos. People go crazy. They are... TikTok stars, they are TikTok with, uh, you know, people with huge, massive followings. Um, uh, It's the hot 
the hot uh, social media platform right now. And uh, it's the hot, you know, the hot video platform there is right now. It's, it's very similar to, uh, to what, um, I don't know, Instagram was for a while. And then there was, there have been like five different iteration of different, um, different companies that, uh, there was Vine, there was Vine, that's right, Vine, and there, was, uh, there were others like that that uh, all the kids get excited about and they do funny videos and everybody downloads and everybody watches and it lasts for, I don't know, a year or two. And then everybody switch to something else. I, I don't think it's soft porn. I don't think there's any, any porn on it. Um, I, what? So DDV show says no soft porn. It's called the internet? No, no, no. The internet's pretty hard porn. What do you, what do you, where's the soft part in the internet? I have no idea. I mean, even the news on the internet. Maybe the news on the internet is soft porn. And the porn on the internet is hard. Uh, there's a called Snapchat, which is uh, owned by the company called Snap, uh, and uh, and you've got you know, so you've got multiple competitors to this. Anyway, um, the Trump administration has decided that TikTok is a national security threat to the United States. Uh, Secretary Pompeo, a few days ago, uh, said that they were looking at ways in which to shut TikTok down, and. Um, Today, no, yesterday, today, yesterday, yesterday, maybe it was yesterday. I can't keep track. Yesterday, I think Donald Trump said that he would sign an executive order today, Saturday, that would ban TikTok. He was personally going to eliminate TikTok, as he said in, uh, in his little uh, statement to the press. He has the power. He has the power to uh, shut down this company. Now, why is this company uh, so offensive to uh, the uh, the Trump administration, well, primarily because it, it's owned by the Chinese, and we'll talk about why that is important in a minute. But it's owned by a Chinese company. Whoops, what did I just do? It's owned by a Chinese company, and of course, we know that that anything Chinese these days is bad, evil, wrong, nasty, uh, and that the federal government needs to needs to protect us from those evil Chinese um, and what they might do to this country. Of course. Uh, why is it a, a, uh, a national security threat? Well, A, because it is owned by a Chinese company. Now, as it turns out, TikTok is a U.S. subsidiary of this Chinese company. It is a complete, all the videos, all the content uh, on the U.S. Um, subsidiary, uh, on the U.S. TikTok versus the Chinese TikTok, is all content, uh, especially uh, all American content. It's content that's produced and created and, and, and done here. Chinese TikTok is very different than American TikTok. I don't think China, the Chinese consumers have access to the American TikTok and American consumers don't have access to the Chinese TikTok. They're separate entities, separate subsidiary. But this is the fear. The fear is that TikTok collects massive amounts of user data, as all social media does. It collects data. I guess you have to sign in, and then they, they get to see what you watch and what you don't watch. And they aggregate all this data, and this data is held in, in, on servers. Uh, and the Trump administration is claiming that, uh, as a consequence, that data can fall into the hands of the uh, Chinese authorities. That is, that we know the Chinese companies often fall under the thumb of the Chinese government, and therefore the Chinese government can force them to provide uh, the data uh, usage of, uh, of Americans on, um, on TikTok 
USA. Now, granted, that would be a, a violation of privacy rights of American uh, consumers, and that would be a bad thing. There is zero evidence that any of that has happened. There's zero suggestion of that. There's no criminal prosecution. There's no civil prosecution against TikTok. Um, there is nothing. Um, there's nothing that uh, indicates that the Chinese government has had so far any access to this data. Uh, there are stories about the kind of data that it collects, and it collects data like any other app. Um, it is uh, delivered to your phone through uh, Apple uh, and uh, through the Apple App Store, and Apple, I guess, monitors what those apps collect, and through the Google Play App Store on Google. It is obviously uh, incredibly popular, tens of millions of U.S. subscribers, uh, and, and in Europe it is, is, it is for whatever reason. I don't understand these things. I mean, every one of these video apps to me look the same. But there's something unique about it. There's something special. There's something entertaining that people really like. Uh, and uh, obviously, this data is collected and this data is, uh, is um, substantial in terms of what videos you watch and maybe some personal data associated with when you sign in. Anyway, this is deemed a national security threat. A national security threat. Now, as a first step, the Trump administration has taken and has asked, uh, uh, you know, uh, military and, and government employees in sensitive positions to uh, delete the app. The other idea is that maybe the app provides some kind of entry point into your iPhone and steals other information from your iPhone. I'm dubious about that given Apple's very, very strict, you know, oversight over what goes in the app store. But, you know, this is the, this is the Chinese. They are capable of anything. And, and as somebody says, why take a chance? It's dangerous. Uh, this is particularly relevant when American uh, social media companies are uh, being accused of selling private data. Um, this is not an accusation that the Chinese company will, but that the Chinese company um, is, going to, uh, is going to give it to their government, not sell it to private companies as some Americans have. Now, I am dubious about the whole line of reasoning. If there is evidence, sure, prosecute. There is a court of law. There are ways in which to prosecute companies for abusing the data that they have. We have intelligence services. We have law enforcement exactly for this purpose, to detect violation of individual rights of Americans. And if individual rights are violated, yes, then the government should step in and do something about it. But we're talking about a stupid video app. There have been two other cases where the Trump administration has done this with Chinese companies, and I can't pronounce these companies, so those of you who know a little bit of Chinese or maybe know uh, something about how to pronounce these Chinese company names, I apologize in advance. One is ZTE, so that's pretty easy, but the other one is Huawei, H-U-A-W-E-I, Huawei. Now, both of those companies make electronic equipment. For example, Hawaii makes equipment for uh, 5G, right? That's how, that's how we all get, um, that's how we all get the coronavirus is through Hawaii's 5G equipment. I don't know if you heard. I think I've talked about it in the previous show about the conspiracy theory that it's 5G networks that are produced by the Chinese that actually activate the coronavirus. 
Um, anyway, uh, they create this hardware, and the danger there is that they will actually have a, the Chinese government could have, therefore, implanted in this equipment back doors that provide, um, that provide it access, not just to the videos you've watched, but to everything, to, to, uh, you know, to uh, all your phone calls, to all your financial information, to really everything, once they can get in to the infrastructure of the web. You know, they can control, they theoretically can accumulate vast amounts of information. I assume that also American intelligence has some reason to think that Hawaii and ZTE, that the government which is involved with them, there's some real legitimate reason to believe that uh, these things could be used for espionage and therefore they've been banned. Uh, and, and the way the government did this with Hawaii and ZTE is they basically banned them from a government contracts uh, and and from participating in much of the um, infrastructure that is being built around five G and and other things, but primarily they've done it through banning them from from the government dealing with them at all. Uh, again, TikTok is a video thing. This is not an app from the Chinese government. This is an app from a Chinese company. And I know, I know that you guys have a hard time differentiating the two. I know that. But it's not the same thing. It just isn't. And indeed, much of what you consume, much of what you have in your pocket, including the, the iPhone and including not an iPhone, if you, if you have other kinds of products, like Samsung products or whatever, are products that are built, constructed, parts, features that come from that come from China. No, it is not the same thing. I've said many times that the Chinese government is not communist. Uh, the Chinese government is much more fascist than it is communist. Enric says TikTok also shown to grab the iPhone global copy area where passwords and other sensitive information is placed. I'm skeptical. Allow me to be skeptical because I I don't think Apple would tolerate that, of them doing that. And if it's being shown, you would think that Apple would have shut them down. Um, So I'm I'm skeptical about that. But look, this is all part of a... a, um, uh, You know, bank passwords, things like that. (laughs) <laughs> maybe I mean if it was then why isn't there why isn't there a criminal lawsuit against the company why is Apple still having them Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky? In line at the deli I guess Aha in my dentist's office more than once actually Do I have to say? Yes you do In the car before my kids PTA meeting Really? Yes Excuse me what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky I never win and tell well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On the platform. Is this because Apple has sold out the American people to a Chinese company? I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical. It seems much more likely that this is, uh, you know, this is a winning issue for Trump. That's, I think, what it, this is all about. The one issue that Trump has going for him, oh, he's got a number of issues, but one of the issues Trump has going for him going into this election is the fact that the American public are unbelievably uh, uh, skeptical and negative about the Chinese government, and to a large extent, for the right reasons. Oh, I don't know if they're the right reasons. There's good reasons for them to be. I don't think it's for the right reasons, just like I don't think that Trump's skepticism and negativity about the Chinese government is, is, is for the right reasons. That has nothing to do with uh, the fascist nature of the government. It has nothing to do with the, what they're doing in Hong Kong. It has nothing to do with what they're doing with the Muslims in, uh, in Western China. It has everything to do with politics. Everything to do with politics. And with his perspective on trade. His perspective on trade. So he is betting that in spite of the fact that young voters love TikTok, he doesn't have the young vote anyway, that he is going to go for Chinophobia and that that is a much more powerful uh, incentive to vote. And, but it's all, about, it's all about China as the villain. I don't believe it has anything to do with the reality. Again, uh, we are consumers of hundreds, if not thousands, on a daily basis of Chinese products. Most companies, most of the companies that we buy from in China, are private companies to the extent that they, you know, they're allowed to be private in China. But they are. They 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 make their own decisions. They build their own products. They keep the profits. They pay lower taxes than American companies. But we know, and this is the difference between China and America, in China, companies could be taken over by the government at the whim of the government. Companies can be forced to be part of the government at the whim of the government. Companies can, be, uh, companies can, can have to take a knee in front of the government at the first opportunity. In America, on the other hand, it can't just be at the whim of the government, although sometimes it is. It, it, there has to be some process, but uh, the government can bring companies to their knees just as well. For example, this TikTok company is a, a, an American subsidiary. Yes, of a Chinese company, but it's in America. Employs Americans. Employs over 1,000 Americans. The servers where all this information is stored is in the United States of America. And this is what I think is truly revealing. Uh, TikTok... USA has been in discussions with Microsoft to sell TikTok to Microsoft. And it has been in discussions for weeks now because uh, it's obvious that the Chinese company would ultimately would like to, right, would like to. The highest amount SuperChat permits is $99 since when? That's interesting. Because it used to it used to allow much larger contributions. That's interesting. 
Um, anyway, TikTok has been in negotiations with Microsoft to sell because TikTok realized that they were going to be shut down by the Trump administration. So they figured that they might as well cash out. That they might as well cash out. And those negotiations uh, have seemed like they're fruitful and Microsoft was on the verge of buying TikTok. And that's a way for, again, the Chinese companies to capitalize, to, to get the money for its investment. And now Microsoft would be responsible for the data. So if it has not been shown that TikTok is stealing sensitive information. It has not been shown that. If it was shown that, there would be a lawsuit by the government. So again, there's tons of misinformation out there, but there is no actually concrete evidence Otherwise, if there was any kind of evidence, the Justice Department would have filed a lawsuit. Instead of Trump threatening to shut it down through executive order, which is dubious because it's not clear he has the authority to do it, and it's not clear how he would do it, why not just take them to court and shut them down that way? And the reason is because they don't have evidence. I mean, if, if there's evidence, you take it to court. You use executive orders and you use threats when there's no evidence. And again, the indication of why this is, that this is something different is the fact that Trump said that he would not accept TikTok selling to Microsoft. Why? Why wouldn't he accept that? Why isn't it okay? If the problem really is that TikTok's collecting this information and might be passed on to Chinese government, why is selling to Microsoft not a solution? It seems like the logical thing. It's a very popular app in Americans. There's this risk that the data would go to China, sell the thing, put Microsoft in charge, put it in data centers controlled by Microsoft, and you solve the problem. And yet Trump said no. And Why? Why? Well, because that would take a win away from him. Trump wants a win. Trump wants the ability to say, I shut down a Chinese company. Trump wants to be able to say, I protected you from the evils of a Chinese company. And by Microsoft buying it, the market will have solved the problem. (laughs) And... There is no interest. There is no interest in the market for this administration in seeing markets solve problems. This is a, an administration interested in central planners solving problems. Now, I did find it interesting that there is no... I, I try to read up on how Trump would shut it down. We don't have in the United States a mechanism to shut down an app. I mean, the Chinese do. In China, if, if you piss off the government, if you piss off the equivalent of, of their leaders, then they can put a barrier between the server and the, the, they can just shut them down. The United States, we don't have that. We don't have control like that over the Internet. They could, the Commerce Department could tell Apple and uh, Google they can't sell the app on the App Store. But they'd have to have a reason. And there'd be a lawsuit. 
And it's not clear how you would do that. Again, we, as compared to China, and, and some of you probably think this is a big disadvantage, we are a country of laws. The president can't just say, I don't want this app to be on the platform and get rid of it. There's a process. There's a, there are lawsuits. This will be contested. I mean, it's just no simple mechanism by which we can, or our government, can shut down somebody like TikTok. And, and good, because imagine if they could shut down any app, any social media, any business they didn't like. So... Yeah, it's, I don't know where this is going to go. Saturday has pretty much passed. And as far as I can tell from following the news, Trump has not yet signed that executive order. TikTok is still working. Uh, TikTok is owned by a Chinese company. Um, I have the name of the Chinese company here somewhere. Um, But I can't find it right now. Anyway, it's owned by a Chinese company. But Microsoft, which was going to buy the company, was, um, has stopped the negotiations until Donald Trump, our commander, well, central planner in chief, uh, actually decides whether he'll let Microsoft buy them. Yes, a bit, bit dance. Bit dance is the name of the Chinese company that owns TikTok. So instead of just letting the market solve the problem, which is it was going to do with Microsoft buying TikTok, Microsoft now is stepping away to see what the government wants to do because now we are all beholden, a little bit like the Chinese in China, we are all beholden to the government to get approval for what we do, to get permission for what we do, And this is, remind you, a Republican administration, for whatever that's worth. I think the volume was way high there. Nobody told me. All right, if the volume's too low now, let me know. But I think it was too high there before. Um, okay. Let's see. Do we have any Super Chat questions on TikTok? The main thing distinguishing TikTok from other apps is its ownership. Unlike the other parts of the world, China uh, experts say the Communist Party could easily pressure TikTok into handover data. True. True. But there's no evidence that's happened. And you could prosecute if it did because it's a legal entity in the United States, the subsidiary. And the data is not exactly national security data. And they were going to sell to Microsoft. So why not just let them sell to Microsoft? And then the ownership problem is solved. But at least yesterday, now he could have changed his mind. At least yesterday, Donald Trump said no to selling to Microsoft. Again, the fact that we even you know, ask the president whether a company can sell to another company is amazing to me. Um, 
Derek says, asks, what do you think of the song TikTok by Keisha? I think you'll be shocked to discover. I'm shocked, shocked that I don't know what he's talking about. Who is Keisha? And given I don't know who Keisha is, I certainly don't know a song by TikTok. So uh, for, for commentary on popular culture or popular music, you will have to go elsewhere. Um, all right, let's see. Uh, let's answer a couple of uh, Super Chat questions. What do you think of the claim of, uh, well, let's do this one. What is the link between, no, not that one. I want to do this one. Do you give Trump credit for signing try, right to try? Where dying patients can uh, now take non-FDA-approved medication if they're dying. Yeah, I give him credit for that. I mean, it, some credit. I, I wish the legislation was a lot broader, and I wish ultimately they have defanged the FDA a lot more than they did. But yeah, he gets credit for a lot of um, concrete things. He gets credit for lowering corporate taxes. He gets credit for moving the U.S. Embassy to Tel Aviv. He gets credit for uh, exiting Paris and exiting the Iranian Treaty, although that's only partial credit because it wasn't... Um, the rest of his Iran policy is pathetic. Uh, yeah, he gets credit for lots of, lots of concrete things. That's not my objection to Trump. My objection to Trump is his attitude his, and his, what he's done to the Republican Party and what he's done to this country in terms of our expectations of our politicians and, uh, and what he's done to the whole political landscape and what he's done to the Democratic Party. I, I just think he's made the world the worst place to live. Um, <laughs> Dolan says I'm in the unrivaled king of pop culture of what pop culture should be not of what pop, pop culture is I, I, I am proud of the fact that I know almost nothing about pop culture of today or actually of the last 40 years Alright, um, let's see. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, that brings up um, that brings up a topic I want to talk about. FDA. I want to talk about the FDA, the right to try. Right to try, by the way, allows patients who are dying, only if they're dying, uh, to use experimental FDA drugs. It still requires a whole process and it's still cumbersome and difficult and nowhere near as easy as it should be. But it's better than it was before, and Trump gets credit for that. But that does bring up the FDA. And the FDA just put up this week uh, new standards for the production, uh, production of home kits for testing 
for COVID. You'll be able to uh, test at home. You'll be able to get uh, results within minutes rather than within days or weeks. Uh, it'll be easy, no pinprick, no, but all at home. Everything will happen at home. And there are companies that wanted to offer this a couple of months ago, and the FDA stopped it. Now they've actually put out a plan, the criteria for what they would approve in terms of hope kits. And from what I've seen, the companies are basically saying, you're insane. With these kind of requirements, it'll never be profitable, never be commercial, never be possible for us to produce the kits. That'll happen sometime next year, maybe. I mean, the idea would be, ideally, to lower the cost to about a dollar a test. A dollar a test. And it is possible. But the FDA wants these to be too good. Something can be too good. For example, if you make the test kit super, uh, super accurate, so it can test very low viral loads. That would be, wow, that would be amazing. But that would be really expensive. And very difficult to put in a home kit. Even the commercial kits that are out there have a hard time doing it. But you could make a pretty cheap one that only detected very high viral loads. But when, are you inf- when, are you, when can you infect other people? Now, when you have a low viral ro- load, when you have a, a high viral load, So why not give people the option of testing themselves and when they have a high viral load, they would know not to go out, not to interact with other people, isolate themselves. Low viral load with social distancing and all that, no big deal. Things like that. Things that have to do with logic and common sense and taking account how people use something and some, you know, the kind of logic and common sense that markets produce. The kind of products that markets create. They don't have to be perfect by the standard of some central planner, but are good enough. Good enough. So we're probably not going to get home kits. Again, we probably could have had them two months ago. We're probably not going to get home kits because of the FDA. And of course, this is just one minor concern I have with the FDA. You know, the FDA even with the now right to try uh, law, the FDA is responsible for the deaths of thousands or hundreds of thousands of potentially millions of people every year because of the cost that it loads up on drugs. It makes it so difficult to produce. Now, look, somebody would have to, there'd have to be some screening of drugs. They wouldn't just go to market. You would have to test them and screen them and so on. And, And doctors wouldn't prescribe drugs unless they were tested and so on. But imagine if that were done in a competitive market. Imagine the cost savings. And also, imagine if people had the option, not just dying people, but all people had the option of evaluating the risks that they were willing to take. Instead of just saying, oh no, it causes, in 10% of patients, it causes heart disease, drug X, Patient being able to say, but you know what? It helps so much my other problems that I'm willing to take the risk of, high, of heart disease that 10% of patients incur. And another patient would say, you know what? 
that risk of heart disease really, really scares me. I'm not willing to take it. Imagine putting the decision on a doctor and a patient, on individuals, rather than on a bureaucratic entity that has all, all the wrong incentives. Now, I don't believe that it would be drug companies selling directly to doctors and they would, I, I truly believe there would be a privatized, a private equivalent to the FDA. Because you don't want a situation in which one rogue drug company, and you do want standards of testing. But I think the standards of testing would be determined competitively. There would be labs to test drugs that would do the equivalent of phase one, phase two, phase three testing. Some of it would be done by the company and somebody would, some of it would be done by the labs. The labs would then review the results presented to it. The labs get it presented to them. They would evaluate it. They would review it. They would test it. And they would give doctors a rating of how, what they think this drug is good for, what they think the risks are, and they would let doctors decide. And labs might even give the drug an F. And they would let doctors know, it's got an F, I wouldn't use it. And my guess is that doctors would pay for this service, rather than drug companies. Because doctors are the ones that have the strongest incentive to have accurate information about the drugs that they are prescribing to their patients. And you could imagine a whole insurance liability structure that would make this function in a way that did not create negative incentives. But that requires imagination, and that, you know, that's the beauty of free markets, is they do these things. These things are created. Entrepreneurs come up with ideas. They build. They create. They produce. The FDA is just an obstacle for all of that. A one-size-fit-all bureaucratic, nightmarish institution that basically, not just does it make drug development super expensive, but it makes some drugs just not worth the while of companies to produce because of the risk that they not get approved and because of the cost involved. I mean, I think the same would happen with food, with a lot of things. You'd have middlemen who would work for the grocery stores inspecting the agricultural produce that they were buying rather than a government agency and probably wouldn't be something supermarkets did themselves. I think you'd have a whole field, a whole industry develop that would basically a private sector industry that would replace what the FDA does today. All right. I like, Kevin, I like Kevin's comment. He says, this is about TikTok. And, and this is about a lot of things. This, you, could, you could even put tariffs in here as well. It applies the same. So to prevent the possibility of the U.S. being the victim of a foreign authoritarian government, a U.S. authoritarian government executive will exercise his authority to ban X. Or if you want to make it tariffs, to prevent, the, to, to, in order to combat the possibility of, uh, of the U.S. being uh, taken advantage of by a foreign authoritarian government, the U.S. government will now take advantage of U.S. citizens in its place. That would be tariffs, right? Something like that. But that's exactly it. And, and by the way, you see that all over the place. I mean, I, I, I read a lot of 
conservative stuff, right? And there is a whole, this whole new trend in conservatism is the idea that, look, if we don't become more authoritarian, then our culture is going to deteriorate. We're going to, you know, we, we are, we're going to lose sovereignty. America is going to change its character completely. We're going to lose any link to our traditions um, because that's what the left is doing and that's what globalization is doing. It's destroying American culture. It's destroying what's, what's unique about America. It's, it's, and it's, all these immigrants are changing the culture and the left is, is crazy and nutty and, and will destroy everything that is America. And in order to protect, in order to protect what is America, we must become more authoritarian. I, I was reading this today in, in an article in the American Conservative. So the new conservatives want America to have more, power, more authoritarianism. They want the executive branch to have more authority, more power. They want authoritarianism in order to save America. Now that is stunning to me. I thought conservatives were there to conserve the founding principles of this country. Not anymore. Those founding principles are far too classical liberal for them. Far too liberal for them. Far too individualistic for them. Indeed, the founding documents are un-American, according to these conservatives. And what we need in order to preserve our Americanism, whatever the hell they think that is, we need more authoritarianism to save us from the authoritarianism of the left, we need authoritarianism of the right. Uh, existence exists at Books for Learning American History. I don't really have anything off the cuff. I'll, I'll, I'll have to get back to you with that. I don't have anything off the cuff. Okay. Um, let's take another Super Chat question and then we'll go to the next uh, newsy topic. Um... All right, we'll do this one. What do you think of the claim of evolutionary psychology that people are determined to focus on the negative more than the positive because pre-civilization humans face constant survival threats? You know, I think there, this is the point, a broader point about evolutionary psychology. And again, I'm speculating here because I'm certainly not an expert in this and, and actually, I've, I've been intending to bring somebody who I think is an expert in this. I need to, re, I, I, I need to contact him and see if he'll come on the show. But um, this is what I think about evolutionary psychology. I think that if you take... A, so Ayn Rand had, this, Ayn Rand had a, a, this brilliant article, and I recommend it. It's called The Missing Link. And to understand... What Ayn, Rand me, what Ayn Rand is talking about, the missing link. The missing link are human beings, people out there, who don't engage their conceptual faculty, who don't think, who don't pursue reason, who are not rational, who are therefore second-handed, 
They let other people do the thinking for them. And they're fundamentally perceptual. So every human being has the capacity to engage in reason. A capacity to think, to be rational. But not everybody chooses to engage that capacity. Indeed, one could argue that, particularly in a world in which we live, where the motivation to think is pretty low, that they're not incentivized to engage that capacity. So that many, many of them don't. So that a significant part of our society does not think, and therefore are at the perceptual level. Now, what is a perceptual mentality? A perceptual mentality can only see things, understand the, the things that they observe. They cannot think for themselves and therefore are dependent on other people providing them explanations for the world that they see because percepts don't give explanations. But think about it in this sense. Um... Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. A perceptual mentality sees me paying $1,000 for the iPhone. It sees me getting the iPhone, Apple getting $1,000. They conclude from that that, you know, the iPhone was worth $1,000 to me and $1,000 to Apple. Nobody won. It was a zero-sum transaction. And they see all trade as zero-sum. There's no gains from trade. Gains from trade is an abstraction. Gains from trade requires you to abstract in order to understand what is actually going on, to understand values, to understand what values represent. And to understand that different people have different values in different ways. But there is more than just trade. In everything, all they see is what's actually literally happening before them. They can't see anything more abstract. Because they don't think. So let's take this issue of seeing Focusing on the negative. If you're at the perceptual level, then the world is not understandable to you. You don't really know what's going on. And by the way, many people can be conceptual at work and perceptual in everything else that they do. They just don't engage their mind beyond the problem they have to solve at work. So I know a lot of very smart people who, in much of their lives, are basically at the perceptual level. Now, when you're at the perceptual level, the world is, you just don't understand it. 
It's therefore. What happens when you encounter something you don't understand? It's all around you. And there's stuff going on and you have no idea what's going on and why it's happening. What is the emotion that evokes? Rationally. That emotion is fear. So I think most people out there, a lot of people out there, live with a sudden sense of dread, constant dread, constant fear. Constant dread and constant fear. And they're constantly looking for reinforcement for that fear and dread. They constantly are looking to justify the fear and dread. It's why, by the way, we get caught up in, you know, the world is going to end because of climate change, because of Y2K, because of fill in the blank, because of the Chinese now. It's why a campaign like Donald Trump's in 2016, which was so negative, so fear-mongering, was so successful because it reinforced that element within all these people who can't really comprehend, understand. They're fearful. They have this, oh, yes, it is. It's all true. I should be afraid. It justifies it for them. So fear is the emotion people live with when they cannot, when they do not engage their rational faculty, when they don't engage their conceptual faculty, when they don't think for themselves. And when you live in fear, you're constantly looking to reinforce the negatives. And that's what evolutionary psychologists are noticing. See, the problem is that evolutionary psychologists, like everybody else, they look out there and they notice a certain phenomenon. They notice people behaving in a particular way. They don't ask the question, which philosophers should, is it rational? Is it right? Can people be better? No. They don't ask that question. Instead, what they do is they try to explain. And they come up with evolutionary explanations for a given phenomenon. So if a vast number of people in our culture are irrational, then evolutionary psychologists are going to come up with an evolutionary explanation for why they're irrational. But the explanation is simple. They're irrational because that's what they chose to do. And you could argue that evolution has given us that option to the extent that free will is an evolutionary product, is a consequence of evolution. But it's still a choice. And as such, you can choose differently. And then what will they do? Evolutionary psychologists will then explain the new behavior of people based on some other evolutionary thing, rather than on the obvious answer, which is choice. I always find it funny. I I remember the example, you know... um, it's not the case anymore because I think it's not politically correct anymore. But 20 years ago, every single beer commercial was the same, right? It had beautiful women in bikinis running around drinking Coors Light or Budweiser or whatever, right? On a boat with lots of attractive young men around them. And the association was beer beautiful women. And I always thought this is the dumbest thing possible because what's the connection? I don't get it. I don't understand this commercial. 
I, while I find the women attractive, it doesn't cause me any kind of association with the beer. But it obviously does to some people. Because otherwise, the, the advertisers wouldn't be doing this. So for some people, it works. Now, who are these people? Well, it has to be people who don't think. It has to be people who don't consider. Do I like beer? What kind of beer? Should I taste a few and figure out what's nice? No, it's people that have basically made their cognitive faculties impotent and respond to stimuli and accept the connection between bikini-clad girl and beer. Can't get the girl, might as well take the beer, I guess. So I think evolutionary psychology is telling stories about behavior that is observed without judging that behavior as being right or wrong. We, as objectivists, as, as, as people oriented by a philosophy, we make judgments. That beer commercial is stupid. The fact that it works suggests that there are a lot of people out there who are not thinking. If they thought, it wouldn't work. And that's the world in which I want to live. I want to live in a world in which beer commercials don't have babes in bikinis. Now, you know, if the idea is that babes in bikinis get male attention, true. But why would that cause me to want Budweiser over Coors? It, it, it still doesn't make the connection. It's assuming you're perceptual, that you become then geared on associating beer with babes. All right, we have about 160 people watching. About half of you have not liked the show. Oop, four just disappeared for me saying that. Maybe it was the babes in bikini that turned them off. Anyway, uh, please, go, go just click the like button. It really helps with the algorithm. It really gets us going. So just like, like, like. There we go. A few people are liking it. I, I appreciate that. The more of you like the show, the more prominent it becomes on YouTube. You know the drill. And the higher it gets on the algorithms, the more people who've never heard of the show get exposed to it, the more people we can convert to a more rational way of thinking. And uh, that's how we change the world. So we change the world by getting you to like. And I see a bunch of you have, so I appreciate that. Um, also, if you really want to have an impact on how many people watch this show, share it. Now, I know it's tough to share some of these two-hour shows or hour-and-a-half shows. They're long, and a lot of your friends don't want to invest that much in it. But what I'd really like you to do, uh, really appreciate it, is if the short videos that we put up after the show, like we break the show up into shorter videos, those videos are perfect for new people. Share, like them, consume them, you know, just get them up there. Just get them some visibility. I don't see enough of them going up on Twitter, going up on Facebook. You know, they're covering issues that I think many of you agree with me on. I, I, there are ways in which to get these ideas out there into a much vaster, bigger audience. And social media is a tool that I could have never dreamed of in terms of marketing these ideas. So here we have social media at our disposal. Use it. 
if you care about, if you think my show has the potential to change minds, and if you want that, please share it. Somebody says, sorry you're on, but you occupy an obscure niche. I do occupy an obscure niche. But the only way for it not to be, continue to be obscure, the only way for it to grow is for you to help it grow. Now, some of you might think, you're on, you deserve to be an obscure niche. That's fine. I'm not really talking to you guys, right? Those of you who think I should stay small, that's great. But those of you who think there's potentially one day, maybe, uh, you know, 100,000, a million people who might get value of listening to some of what I have to say, maybe not every show, not the length of the show, then here's an opportunity for you to help make that happen. So, share. (laughs) And finally, uh, for those of you who can and those of you who want to and those of you who get value from the show, there are at least five different ways you can support the show. You can do it on Patreon. You can do it on Subscribestar. You can do it on Locals. And my favorite place of all is you can do it in youronbookshow.com slash support. Uh, those four are my favorites because there you can make a monthly contribution. And uh, monthly is great because it gives me visibility into what's coming in the future. I can plan. I can do long-term planning. You can use any one of those platforms. My preference, again, is that you do it on my website. It just, just I like it better how they manage the flow of, of, of money in. Uh, but any of those platforms would be fantastic. Uh, you can contribute anywhere from a dollar to, I think $2 is the minimum, to $500, $500 a month. Um, voting out, you know, it would be great to get several people like that. It would be great to get lots of people like that. Uh, we could really grow the show with a lot of $500 contributors. And, of course, there is Super Chat. Super Chat is available. Somebody said, I think Jonathan said it's limited to $99. I've gotten Super Chats for 250 so either that's new or I'm missing something, but uh, Jonathan will have to help me out there and explain why he thinks it's only up to 99 But, yeah, so David says that Patreon is hurtling towards disaster. That's why I'm diversified. I hope other people, you know, join, but join not necessarily through Patreon, but through other platforms that have... Again, the best platform would be to... Uh, to do it on my website. Uh, Martin says, you know, he shared the video clip of Trader Joe's and he pinged the founder of the company and a podcast about the company. Perfect. See, that's the way we get visibility. You take a particular issue and then you ping the people who, who that is relevant to, right? And that's great. Hi, Yvonne, watching you live in New Delhi, just showing up for support. Please carry on doing what you do. Thanks for everything. 2000... What is the name of the currency in India? I don't know. Wow. I suddenly discovered that I don't, I, I don't know the currency in India. That, that surprises me. I thought I would. Anyway, 2000 I have no idea how much, how, many, how much that is in dollars. But thank you, um, Vikram. Um, rupees. That's right. Rupees. Of course it's rupees. Not rupees. That's right. Um, let us see. What have we got? We still only we've got some super chat. Let me let me do another super chat question. Then maybe we'll do the stimulus. Um, let me see if there's anything here. Uh, all right, somebody just read the first chapter of Atlas Shrugged today. Planning on doing two chapters a week. Any advice 
to better read the book besides the AI app content. I would just, for the first read, just read the book for fun. If the book has the kind of impact it had on me and many others, you will want to read it again and again. So the first time, I would just read it for fun. Just go at the pace you want to go. Just, just enjoy it. Enjoy the story. Try to get the story. What is the story trying to represent? There's some long speeches. Read them. Um, first time I read Atlas Shrugged, I, 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 I know some of you will think this is heresy. I skipped Gold's speech. I read a little bit of it and then went ahead because I was too interested in the story and I wanted to know how it ends. Then I went back and read the whole speech. And I've read it several times since then. But the first time I read it, I skipped the speech because I wanted to know how the story ends. So there are lots of ways. There's no one way to do it. All right. Somebody, Alex says, the Super Chat on phone is maxed at $19.99. But on PC, you could go higher. Yeah, I don't know all the different nuances of Super Chat. I just know it's a great feature. It makes these shows a lot more fun. Uh, and uh, and it gets you to be much more participatory, and of course would love it if we got some significant supports over the super chat, which would make my weekend. What is the link between racism and altruism? Since racism is so exclusionary, it would seem to go against the tenets of altruism. Good question. Um, Racism in and of itself uh, is not explicitly a reflection of altruism. Although people who embrace racism don't give up altruism, and almost always the altruism is reflected in the way they deal with the people within their own so-called race. That is, the people they they associate with, um, the altruism still plenty manifest there. Um, now, I'm sure there is a deeper relationship between altruism and uh, racism, right? Um, but let me, let me take – that's a good question and a, and a deep question. I mean, racism is fundamentally collectivist, and collectivism is fundamentally altruist. But – you know, collectivism is, is the notion, is the fundamental notion that individuals don't matter. The fundamental notion that individuals don't matter, just a group, boils down to the fundamental notion that you pursuing your own self-interest doesn't matter. So collectivism rejects egoism, and racism must reject egoism. So it's not what racism embraces a, a view of, of altruism as is. But what racism does is it negates the only real alternative to altruism, which is egoism. Because it undermines, undercuts the value of the individual. It undermines, undercuts the individual's judgment, individual reason, individual rationality. You are basically a product of your genes. You're basically a product of the group. Your basic identity is that of the group. And therefore, what racism does and what it's motivated by 
is the rejection of individualism, rejection of egoism, rejection of self-interest. It's done in the name of the group, the collective. And you as an individual within that group are subjugating your authority, subjugating your thinking, subjugating your mind to that group. So it's not altruism in the sense of you're sacrificing for that group. It's altruism in the sense that you are sacrificing your own mind for the sake of your own group. The racist is an altruist in the sense that he's undercutting himself, undercutting his own mind. Altruism being focused on others. Here he's not sacrificing for others, but his focus is on the other members of his group and his belonging to them with a negation of his own reason, his own thinking, his own identity. I think there's a, there's a deeper issue here, but I'll have to get back to you on that. It, it, it's, we'll get to it. Have you considered any tag team capitalism versus socialism debate? Who would you want to ta- team up with and who would be an ideal opponent? I have not. I'm actually, uh, thank you, Corey. Um, you can do these stickers where you just make a contribution without even asking a question, so, and, and that's always appreciated. Um, I have not really considered tag team because I don't like ta- tag team debates that much um, because I have to share the stage with more people. And, and that's true. I love being on stage. I love speaking. I love doing debates. I love doing panels. I, I, I love speaking to audiences. And even with a debate, it's like, like half the time my opponent gets. As you can tell from these shows, I just like talking and, and conveying my point of view. And I'm, I think I'm good at it and I enjoy it. And I love the interaction. Unfortunately, we don't have the interaction here. But I, I, that's why I like having the chat going. I love doing these live. Because at least with the chat, I have a sense that there is some interaction that, I'm provi- that, that is being provided. Um, so I, I, I've done tag team debates. I'm not crazy about them. I mean, if I did one on capitalism, I think I could do, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to do anything with Leonard Peikoff. But given that Leonard is, is, is not doing them, I, you know, Peter Schwartz would be great as a, as a tag team on capitalism or on foreign policy. Harry uh, Benswanger would be good. Um, Ankar and, uh, and Greg, Ankar Gatte and Greg Salmieri would be good. Um, those would be the kind of people, I, you know, I'd love to have in the tag team a philosopher with me. So I would do the more economic, concrete, political stuff, and a philosopher would do the more philosophical stuff, and that would be the tag team. That would be the best kind of tag team I would do. Right? Uh, my ideal opponents, I don't know. I mean, my view of opponents in a debate are people with big names who attract attention. I, I don't care actually what they say that much. I just care that they bring an audience. And I don't know today who would bring that bring big audience. I mean, who on the left would people come and listen to? Elizabeth Warren, that would be good. A lot of people would come and watch me debate Elizabeth Warren or tag team versus Elizabeth Warren. Uh, Robert Reich, maybe. I don't know. I don't think he has that big of a following. Um, I don't know. There's got to be others. Uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a whole array of people on the left 
who, who we could get. I mean, there, was the, there were other people I've debated. They, they're not big enough names. The guy from the Jacobian was not a big enough name to really attract a significant audience. Sam Harris, I mean, that would be a dream. And that would be a massive audience if we could get Sam Harris, but he won't debate objectivists. Um, Jordan Peterson, for that matter. Debate Jordan Peterson. Um, yeah, any of the big names. Brett Weinstein. Debate Brett. Here's a tag team. Me and, I don't know, Uncle Greg versus um, Brett and Eric Weinstein against the Weinstein brothers. That'd be fun. Tucker Carlson could be an opponent. That would be great. I'd love that. I'd love to debate Tucker Carlson. All right. So, okay, two most of check questions. All right. Uh, you might like Adam Curtis documentaries, even though he is not always right. Century of Self about Edward Bernays, The Power of Nightmares about neoconservatives, etc. I'll look him up. All right. I'm not familiar. Uh, I love the We Live Living movie. What did you think of it? Yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Best Ayn Rand movie. Best movie based on an Ayn Rand uh, novel uh, made. It is, it is brilliant. It is a really, really good movie. Um, yeah, best acting, best production values, best cinematography, best in every respect. We the Living, just a fantastic, a fantastic, um, you know, uh, audience. Uh, Jason asks, why do you think your audience is going so much more rapidly? Um, I mean, it's not. It's growing more rapidly, but not much more rapidly. Nowhere near as fast as I would like it to grow. I think it should grow. I think it's growing more rapidly because more people have been exposed to it, whether it's because we've been doing, uh, you know, uh, I, I've, I, I hired Derek, who's on here in the chat, to do more social media. He's done that. He's been bugging people. Bugging is the wrong way. Enticing people to, uh, to uh, subscribe more. Uh, to participate more. And, um, but I think primarily, I'd say the main reason was um, the hot topic of corona and then uh, the rioting and the monument coming down. and You know, the left and all the shows about whiteness. And those were very, very popular shows and people are interested in it, brought in new people. Those shows were elevated in the algorithms and brought in new people. And, um, and then, uh, yeah, so I think, it's, I think it's a combination of those things. I think it's a combination of those things. Uh, it's still small, right? I mean, think about it. To get to 100,000, we need 80,000 more people. To do that in 10 months, we'd have to get 8,000 people a month. Right now, we're back to well below 800 a month. So... We'd have to 10x, 10x the subscribers every month. Now, if we did it in two years, it would be 4,000. We'd have to 5x. I don't know if that's doable. I mean, I hope it's doable. But to really get to 100,000 at the current rate, we're talking about, you know, (laughs) 10 years. So this is why I emphasize, like, share take the small videos and share them, uh, send them out, put these on other groups, put them out to places where, where people, would actually, people would actually engage with this stuff, right? So, yeah, Derek says, get on, I've been on Stossel. 
I've been at Stossel many, 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 many times. I've been at Stossel when Stossel was much bigger than he is right now, right? I was on Stossel when he was at Fox and, and had a significantly larger audience than he had right now. So it's, it's, you know, a lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been done. It was already being covered. Not that I shouldn't go on Stossel again. I should. But there's no simple solution. I'm, I'm working on some projects on the site that I think will have, have the potential to have a significant influence. I think the big thing, the big thing that would really give us a big leg up would be to be on Joe Rogan's show, right? Or to be on Crowder's show, but primarily Joe Rogan. Or to be on other. I think it's primarily podcasts. It's getting on the big podcasts. And then it's topics, right? It's, it's orienting the show, you know, and I'm not really good at orienting the show towards more, you know, if all I did was attack the left, if all I did was attack the left, and I stopped attacking Donald Trump, my numbers would be much higher, much, much higher. But <laughs> I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Actually, one of my, you know, actually my only guy who, gi- who gives right now $500 a month said to me the other day, you know, because he gives $500 a month, which is a great way to do it, right? Uh, he gives $500 a month. He, he's, he, uh, he gets a half an hour of my time every month. We do one-on-one. And one of the things he said to me in this one-on-one was he said, Yuan, you're the only source of, of information, reliable information for me about the evils of the right. So don't stop. He says, you're the only person I know who, who, who follows the right and sees the danger in the right and sees what they're capable of doing, and sees how anti-capitalist they are, and anti-freedom many of them have become. And he says, you're the only source I have, so please don't stop attacking the right, because you know, I'd miss this whole phenomenon, if not for you. So not because he said it, but I, I, you know, in my view, um, this is... This is my contribution. For, for attacking the left, you can go to Ben Shapiro. You can go to a bunch of other. I think I do it better, but there's tons of sources for you to go uh, that attack the left on a regular basis. And I still do it. Uh, in my most popular shows, I attack the left. Uh, the one on whiteness, the one on the riots in Portland, the, the, the ones on, um, on uh, what was it called, uh, systemic racism. Uh, those are great. But I'm, the fact is that I am more interested in, and I think... I have more to contribute in attacking the right and giving objectivity to the right, partially because all of us are attracted to the right. The right is appealing. The right seems like the antidote to the left. And that's my job, is to warn you away from that. The choice is not between right to left. The choice is between individualism and collectivism, and the right today is very collectivist. All right, let me cover some of the topics I wanted to as an example of why the right is so pathetic but this is like a regular pathetic. This is not an insightful pathetic. It's just look at what's going on right now with the stimulus. For how much would you comment five-minute video? I don't know what you mean. For how much would you comment five-minute video? You're, you're going to have to explain yourself, John. You can explain yourself in one of the comments without the dollars, and I'll try to read it. Just look at the stimulus package. The Democrats in May, May, they passed the stimulus package by the House $3 trillion. Now, that was obviously not going anywhere. 
But you expected the collectivistic, statist, socialist-minded Republicans to offer their own stimulus package quickly so they can negotiate a deal because they need to throw money at the American people before the election. Otherwise, they risk losing. But the Republicans sat on their hands. And only when coronavirus numbers started going up and the Republicans said, oh my God, maybe, maybe, maybe we do need to throw money at American people. Maybe the recovery won't happen all by itself. That the Republicans started to put the plan together and they couldn't disagree and they argued and they debated and they argued and finally last week they proposed a solution. Now, it's already known that between at least 20 senators, Republican senators are probably going to vote against this. Good for them, by the way. But the Democrats don't support this. And the House has to agree to it. So then they started negotiating with the House. And they're not agreeing. Why? Because the House wants um, to sustain this uh, $800 a month on top of unemployment insurance, an extra $800, which basically, for some people, constitutes a wage higher than what they would actually earn if they got a job. So Republicans are saying, no, we want to reduce it so that it isn't as much as if they got a, jo- as if they got a job because we want to provide them with an incentive to get a job. And Democrats are saying, no, because <laughs> Democrats have veto power over this bill because they control the House of Representatives. So they say, no. So Republicans say, no, no, this is really bad. This is economic suicide. We can't do that. People won't go to work, so we're going to insist. And Democrats say, no. And today Republicans said, okay, let's, let's sit down and negotiate. <laughs> so Republicans have already caved on that. What's also interesting about uh, these negotiations, like previous negotiations of the Trump administration, they're not handled like they used to be. It used to be that the House and Senate, senators would negotiate and the House members would negotiate, and then maybe the, the administration, the president's people would chime in and, and, and say, no, no, we won't sign that and we don't want that and we don't want this. And they would lobby and they would encourage. And, but here, it's Mnuchin negotiating the whole thing. And Mnuchin sells out to the Democrats every single time. Now, I know Trump has this mystique about being a great negotiator out of the deal. But he's outmaneuvered by the Democrats every single time. And what I expect from this deal is it's going to be well over a trillion dollars. It's going to give the Democrats what they want on unemployment. It's going to give the Democrats what they want on other issues. Um, none of them will, you know, they'll come to some grand compromise. It'll be a trillion to a trillion and a half. It's massive. It's intrusive. It's more bailouts. It's checks to everybody and their brother-in-law. And this is above and beyond things like the Trump administration giving a $765 million loan to Kodak to save it so it can convert itself into some kind of pharma company. Really, Kodak. Because they have knowledge in chemicals from film development. And it's just fascinating to me that anybody still believes, that anybody has any inclination to think that Republicans are pro-market. That Republicans are not just competing on who can grant what favors to whom, which interest interest group gets which favors, and to what extent, and how big are they, and where can we buy influence, and how many voters do we buy versus them buying, and in which districts and which states, and is it a red state or is it a blue state? And it's all that kind of politics. 
It's all corrupt. It's all statist, collectivist, socialist, insanity or fascist, however way you want to call it. But the government involved in the economy in dramatic fashion. That's what we're seeing. Democrats, Republicans, makes no difference. It's just a matter of the degree. And it's a matter of the emphasis, where you want to put the trillions of dollars. Yeah, somebody should put up $2,000. I agree with anonymous Doe. Someone, 2000 bucks. come on. Never mind, $2 trillion. The government gets $2 trillion. I can't get a $2,000? All right. Um, so I just wanted to vet a little bit on stimulus because it is so sickening. So sickening. This is stimulus number three. We've already spent $3 trillion on the stimulus. This is by far the largest stimulus in American history. It's bigger than the New Deal. It's bigger than 2008, 2009. This is like World War II in terms of percentage of GDP. This is like completely taking over the U.S. economy in order to ramp it up, to manufacture arms to win World War II. That's what this government is doing right now. This is a wholesale uh, turning American markets into an entitlement state where every crisis now Americans are going to go, oh, please help us. Hands out. Where's my $1,000 stimulus check? And every small business is going to go, oh, wait, where's my PPP loan, my PPP grant or whatever it is? And, and how come? And that, I haven't even talked about the Fed because I've talked about it before. Printing $7 trillion to bail out businesses and corporations and large companies and probably some foreign banks in addition. And it has nothing to do with the anti-concepts package deal of globalists. It has everything to do with the fact that these are Republicans and Democrats who want control over your life. If you've watched the show, um, yes, so, and it doesn't matter. If you watch the show with Greg Salamiri, we talked about package deal. Globalist is the perfect package deal. It is an anti-concept. It means nothing. You should never utter the word. It is a package deal of two things. It packages together people who believe in the virtues of globalization, which means more trade, more people uh, you know, traveling from country to country, more immigration, not necessarily open borders, but more immigration, easier to travel, easier to work, easier to spend time in various countries. All that is good. It pack- and, and free trade and everything. It packages that with one world government. Evil, bad. And it calls it one concept globalist. So if you, like me, happen to be for free trade and much, much more migration, and as easy as could be to move from country to country. I love being able to go into countries really, really easy. I'm now a globalist, even though, and I'm accused of it constantly, even though I'm vehemently against one world government. doesn't matter. I've got the label now because I'm for the good things. That's a typical package deal. In order to discredit the virtues of globalization, we associate them one-on-one with something evil, one world government. And that's how you destroy a concept. That's how you destroy the good. 
And it's what the left has been brilliant as and what the right now has figured out how to do. So Wilbur says, I'm all for free trade when there's no idiotic overarching laws set by dumb international organizations like the United States of America, who has dumb laws like subsidies for farming and like uh, uh, tariffs and like all kinds of restrictions on who can buy a bank in the United States and who can buy certain types of companies in the U.S. and what Americans can invest in overseas. Give me a break. And what international organizations do you know have dumb rules? And aren't the rules that these dumb international organizations put together far superior to the rules that used to exist before these international organizations existed? The World Trade Organization, for example, has led to the lowering of trade barriers, the greatest lowering of trade barriers in human history over the last 50 years. It is a massive achievement and improvement over what existed before. NAFTA is a huge... Now, I don't believe in either one. I don't think you need the World Trade Organization or NAFTA because I believe all the United States has to do to promote free trade is lower tariffs to zero unilaterally and stop subsidizing unilaterally and globally. That's it. That's all you have to do. But NAFTA reduced tariffs from what they were before. NAFTA made a huge improvement over what was before. Now, why is Iran 2024? Why not 2020? Why are you, why are you delaying my presidency by four years? So the right is basically set out to destroy the concept of free trade and glo globalization by using the term globalist. And globalist is an anti-concept and should be avoided. You should never use it. All right, uh, quickly, Biden VP. <laughs> this is turning into quite a joke. Um, so Biden... Initially, this is, this is kind of the, the state of mind of the Democratic Party, right? The state of the world in the Democratic Party. Initially, Biden said, I'm definitely going to choose a woman because this needs to be historic. We, we've already done the black president thing. Now we need a woman thing, woman vice president thing. So he, he said, I'm only going to choose a woman. And then the whole Black Lives Matter ha happened, and everybody says, oh, well, if you're going to choose a woman, it has to be a black woman. And basically, Biden is not committed to doing to choosing as vice president a black woman. Now, he has to find a qualified black woman, and I'm sure they are, uh, but within the Democratic Party, right? So he has. I, I was thinking, if if you really, if you really wanted to, I think really win this election, and, and if you, I can think the best VP choice for Biden if he was going to go with a black woman. Now. I'm not a fan of hers, but I just think politically this would be an amazing choice because it would completely disorient people, it would completely throw them off, and it would garner support from unlikely places. I think his best is Condoleezza Rice, being a black female Republican who is a moderate Republican. So she's not going to radically disagree with you on stuff and probably agree with you on most foreign policy issues if you're Biden. And I think that would throw that would throw it completely, throw it completely. Anyway, um, I don't think that's the choice he has. He's basically looking at people like Kamala Harris um, and uh, and uh, Duckworth, I think, who's a senator, 
and a few, uh, this black woman who used to be a sheriff down in Orlando and is now a congresswoman from Florida. And, uh, and he's looking at the other race. I think Susan Rice, who was uh, Obama's national security advisor, who would be terrible. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, once in a while, still mentioned as a possibility. But, of course, Elizabeth Warren is, um, I think his campaign would completely implode if it was Elizabeth Warren because I think he would lose all his Wall Street support and maybe even some of his uh, Silicon Valley support if he, if he chose a Susan Rice. Yeah. Um, that is Elizabeth Warren if he did that. Um, and then uh, the last couple of days, there's been this new, um, uh, this new uh, possibility, and that is Karen, Karen Bass. Karen Bass is the leader of the Black Caucus in the House of Representatives. She's a Democrat congresswoman from the state of California. Um, I think Kamala Harris is like mixed. She's some black and some Native American. Elizabeth Warren, I guess, is part Native American. I think the part is 0.0002%, something like that. Um, but I don't, get, I don't think it will be Elizabeth Warren. I think it will be, I think it will be Kamala Harris in the end. But anyway, they're floating the name of Karen Bass today. And this is the quality of the people you have in the Democratic Party that, that now you know, Biden has, has limited himself to. Karen Bass is a long, she, she is, some say she's like number two after Kamala Harris. She, she's likelihood is very high. And yet, and yet, Karen Bass uh, visited Cuba several times when she was young. She worked in Cuba. She is known and has been known to be a big fan of Fidel Castro. When Fidel Castro died, she actually wrote this um, this note about, you know, how, how he was the commander-in-chief, like, of the movement, in a sense, right? Um, she is a huge apologist for Cuba. Now, the news reports about this, I find that interesting in and of itself, uh, the way it's reported in the news, right? That's often half of the story is, is, the, is the news reports about this, is the news is not worried about the fact that she is a um, Cuba supporter because of what it says about her ideology, about what it says about what she thinks about the world. The news media is only interested about the fact that she is a supporter of Cuba in terms of what it does in terms of how much it hurts Biden in Florida because the Cubans won't vote for him because she is pro-Fidel Castro. I mean, this is what she wrote when he died. Um, As Cuba begins nine days of mourning, I wish to express my condolences to the Cuban people and the family of Fidel Castro. The passing of the Comandante en jefe, which means commander-in-chief, is a great loss to the people of Cuba. Really? Now, that alone should disqualify you from being vice president of the United States. It's, It's, you know, it's... I don't think it quite disqualifies you from being a congresswoman if your district is basically commie, but it should disqualify you from anybody voting for you. So as compared to this lady, Carmela Harris seems like normal, like cool, like a pro-capitalist. Carmela Harris, though, is hated by the left because she was a, a prosecutor in California and she's accused of being too tough on criminals. 
So I think it's going to be Carmelo Harris. I think that's one of the problems he has is everybody claims that Carmelo Harris is too ambitious. Too ambitious. You don't want a VP who's more ambitious than you are. All right. Since we're on the topic of Cuba, some good news out of Cuba. The good news is that now that the Cuban economy has collapsed further from its pathetic poverty because of COVID, the Cuban government is actually considering opening up the economy and instituting some measures, some measures of private property and allowing more entrepreneurial activity and opening up the economy to more competition and getting the government less involved. Because we know capitalism is the only cure for poverty and certainly the only cure for complete and utter financial collapse. Now, why has Cuba suddenly collapsed? Not so much because of the shutdowns of COVID, but because tourists are not going there because of COVID. It was dependent on tourism. One of the reasons I would not go to Cuba as a tourist is because every dollar you spend in Cuba as a tourist goes to the Cuban government, to the Communist Party. And then I differentiate that from China, where you can go to a tourist, and your dollars you spend go to the people who, with which you trade. The tax rate is not 100%, where it is in Cuba, because everything is owned by the government. China actually has private property. That's why China is much more fascist than it is communist. Everything you buy made in Cuba, your Cuban cigars or whatever, the money goes to the government. That is not true with China. Now, I'm still not saying it's moral or right to trade with Chinese companies. I'm just saying it's a, it's a, it's a big difference. It's a major consideration, at least for me. And the second reason Cuba is in financial distress, economic distress, is it used to receive heavy subsidies from Venezuela, originally from the Soviet Union, more recently from Venezuela, from oil revenue. But Venezuela is in complete destruction mode, self-destruction mode, oil revenues uh, 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 approaching zero, and uh, Cuba's all on its own. I think Mexico might support them, and Mexico's got their own problems. So Cuba's collapsing, Cuba's disintegrating, and it could be, maybe, maybe, hard to tell, the good news might be, I always want to look at the good news, that Cuba becomes more free as a consequence of everything that's going on there. Let's hope. That would be really, really nice. Uh, it's still not too late to do big dollar super chats. I won't take anything less than 20, but if you do more 20 or more, then I will answer your super chat question. But I, I've got a bunch here, and then we'll call it a show. I will answer anything that's $20 or above. Uh, why do you th- uh, that, that, answer that one? Oh, wait. Um, I love watching your discussion with college students in foreign countries. The pandemic temporarily halted it. Do you have any plans to travel and visit colleges in the future? I, well, plans is like a foreign word to me right now. How, how, how do you do plans? I, I have to say that probably the biggest psychological impact this coronavirus has had on me and the lockdowns have had on me is that my whole life has always been about planning for the future. I've always had plans. I've always had a calendar where I knew exactly, not exactly, but I knew approximately what I was going to do for the rest of the year, for the, well, for, tw- for the next 12 months. Hi, Simon. I have no idea what currency that is. I-S-K. No idea. But that's cool. It's a big number, so I appreciate that. 
Um, and I can't plan right now because I can't go anywhere. And, I, and even if I could go somewhere, I don't know if they'd lock them down just after I arrived and couldn't leave. Where would I go right now? Most countries are banning Americans. You need 14-day isolation. I'm not going to go to 14-day isolation to go give a talk somewhere. So it's impossible to do any planning. Now, will I visit colleges in the future? Absolutely. Do I intend to do more speak uh, talks? Absolutely. Oh, wow, that's... So that's Icelandic money. Excellent. I love Iceland. I love Iceland. Thank you, uh, Simon. Um, greetings back to Iceland and uh, uh, to my freedom-loving friends in Iceland. I, one of my visits uh, was to Iceland where I gave a talk at a university in Iceland. I'd love to go back there. And one of the professors at the university there is, is very friendly. And, uh, and we talked about me coming back there. And I've talked the local Students for Liberty group in Iceland has invited me back. So at some point, I'd love to go uh, back to Iceland. I'm scheduled right now, for example, to speak in France, in Paris, in October at a conference. But what do you give the odds of that actually happening? <laughs> I think pretty close to zero. So once there's a vaccine, or once this nuttiness, whatever happens, goes away, um, I hope to be back on the road, back lecturing. There's nothing like a live audience. And I love my audiences in, in Tbilisi, Georgia, in, uh, in, in, um, in Serbia, in, uh, in Ukraine, of course, in the UK, in Israel. Um, and, and, uh, and I've done some, some, you know, I'm eager to kind of try to build up an audience in places like Spain, France, Italy, Germany, um, so, yeah, I'm eager to go, and, and of course, Scandinavia. So I think there's a lot more to do, and, and I had huge plans to go to South America, some of my favorite audiences in the world in Brazil, and uh, I just don't know how that is going to be possible. I don't know how that will happen. So, and then, of course, Asia. So, uh, yes, my book is coming out in Mongolian soon. Or I think Equal is Unfair is coming out in Mongolian I think equal and uh, free market revolution is coming out in Hebrew in Israel. Um, there might be some other publications in, in the process. Um, and uh, I'm hoping to go do book tours when the books come out. So, oh, I think South Korea. One of my books is coming out in South Korea. So I, I've got real plans to travel and do book tours and to engage with audiences over there. So, and if Cuba opens up, I'd love to go to Cuba. Um, does Trump go more towards fascism or capitalism in a second term? Oh, fascism, no question. There's not a capitalist bone in Trump's body. There's not a capitalist bone in Trump's body. And, and that's not where, the, where his supporters are. Oh, wow. Wow, that's a lot of money, Simon. Thank you. That is very, very generous. Wow. Wow, thank you. Um, so... The Republican Party has moved away from capitalism. It's not just Trump. Trump has moved the Republican Party. This is part of my my worry, my you know what I why I'm so anti-Trump is um, well. I hope hopefully we'll meet up in Iceland uh, next year. 
in the summer, not in the winter. Not coming to Iceland in the winter. All right. Uh, that's a lot of money. Thank you. So I think that Trump goes more towards authoritarianism. I think that's where his instincts are. I think that's where the new nationalist conservatives are. I think that's where generally the, the movement is uh, on the right. It's towards more authoritarianism. And, and uh, the capitalists are getting fewer and fewer and fewer within the Senate, within the House. Uh, Justin Amash is not coming back. Um, you know, a lot of the people who used to be in the Freedom Forum uh, of, the, of the House have become, uh, uh, you know, status. They've moved away from their capitalist beliefs. I just don't think that's where the party is and where the voters are. What's your opinion on the Seattle City Council just proposing to abolish the police, replacing it with a community-led safety prevention program? Good, you know. I, I, I always said, you know, we get the politicians we deserve, and we deserve the politicians we get. Let the people of Seattle live under a safety prevention program that doesn't have the police. I think it's, of course, insanity. I think it's immoral. I think it's unjust. But I don't think anybody should prevent them from doing it. Other than the voters. Vote the bastards out. Replace them. But if you don't, you know, as long as we believe in federalism, uh, we believe that in certain dimensions, local government should govern. Now, yeah, there's a certain point at which the federal government would intervene. But I don't think the federal government should force these cities to experiment with uh, no police. Crime rates will go up, and, and uh, the, the people will rebel against it, I assume. Democrats are way ahead in the polls in winning the Senate. Yes. Worst case scenario of Biden-Harris having a free reign to pass anything in the name of gridlock, would you consider supporting Trump? No. No. I'd consider supporting Republican senators who could beat Democrats. But look, this is the point, <laughs> and I know you guys don't get this, but I don't actually have a sway in the election. If my opinion about the election mattered, that is, if I could sway enough votes to change an election, we will be on the way to winning this battle, and it wouldn't matter who won. But I don't, I, I don't even have much of an impact on you guys, on the loyal listeners to this show. I certainly have no impact on the casual listeners to the show, and I have zero impact on people who don't listen to the show. I don't know why you care so much who I support. It doesn't matter in the world out there. Trump will win or lose this election not based on my, anything I say, but based on the people who vote. The vast majority of people who vote who've never heard of me, who've never listened to the show, who don't know what I think. When I start to have the kind of cultural sway where I can dictate an election we will be winning. And of course, any one of your votes doesn't matter. If you live in California, California is going to vote Biden. Now, maybe if you live in Texas, you suppose it's going to vote Trump, but who knows this time. If you live in Pennsylvania, if you live in Michigan, if you live in Wisconsin, if you live in Ohio, if you live in Florida, maybe your vote counts. But everywhere else, it doesn't count. 
I don't know why you're obsessed with who I support or who I don't support. I will not support Trump because he represents the end of America. I think Biden, we can survive to fight another day. A Trump victory, I don't think we can survive to fight another day. If Biden wins and he gets the Senate and he gets the House, that will be devastating. And whose fault will that be? Whose fault will that be? It will be Trump's fault for destroying the Republican Party, making it unelectable, bringing in a blue wave like we haven't seen in a long time. That will be Trump's fault. Not COVID's fault. Not the economy's fault. Not China's fault. Not even Russia's fault. It'll be Trump's fault. And, it, and, and shockingly, shockingly, it won't be my fault. So another reason we should have never elected Trump is because he might lead to an overwhelming victory of Democrats in all houses. And if they do win, then it'll be up to all of us to fight them and to try to influence the, the better Democrats not to do the kind of wacky stuff that the, that, the, that, the, that the radical left would like them to do. I'm No guarantees that we can do that, but that's what we want to do. That's what we want to do. So I would love to see, as I said, Trump lose in a landslide, Republicans hold the Senate, even just by one senator. It's all they need is, to, is a filibuster, is, a, is, to, is to prevent the Democrats from controlling the Senate, and the House, in that sense, doesn't matter. They, they need one House. Ideally both, but they need one House. And by the way, if, if Trump wins, then they won't lose the, the Senate. It's if Trump loses, it's the problem. But it's a problem, and I don't have a solution for it other than go out there and vote for your senator. Vote Republican on the Senate. But again, it doesn't matter if you're in California or New York. I don't even know if the Republicans on the ballot in California and New York. I want to comment video titled Jeff Bezos made $13 billion million on the channel The Ring of Fire. I don't know what that means. You want me to comment, do a video, Title Jeff Bezos made $13 million on the channel The Ring of Fire, but I don't know what that means. I, what is the channel Ring of Fire? All right, I'm going to keep this. If I gain an understanding of what the hell it means, I'll consider doing that video, but I'd have to know what it means. All right. Oh, one last question, 20 bucks. What are your thoughts on living in Eastern Europe or Russia? It appears in the next 5 to 15 years they're going to have a big change. How can their government be overthrown or changed through foreigners or capitalism? Well, yeah, I think Eastern Europe and Russia are already have moved towards authoritarianism. Certainly Hungary, Poland, and Russia are quite authoritarian already. These are not good countries uh, w with a good future. Uh, and, 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 and people don't know the extent to which Hungary is basically being subsidized by the European Union. Um, and, and the Hungarian economy is being subsidized by the European Union. Hungary can prove part of the European Union all once and make fun of it. But without Germany, Hungary is finished. And that will only get worse as it becomes more authoritarian. How can they be changed through foreigners or capitalism? They probably can't. I mean, they would probably require that the people within these countries rise up against the authorities. Rise up against the authorities. Uh, Noel asks, Wow, Simon, you're on a roll. I think this is the best Super Chat ever because of Simon. 
So hungry Poland, you need a revolution internally. You need, well, not an armed revolution. You just need to elect better people. Better people, right? Uh, Simon asks, what do you think will happen to the Nordic countries in the near future? I'm actually fairly optimistic about the Nordic country. I think of all the, of all the countries out there, all the European countries, I think the Nordic countries have found the most sustainable balance, at least for now. And that balance is basically having free markets, basically encourage entrepreneurship, encourage business creation, business formation. And then, um, and then basically have a robust welfare state, which means high taxes. But I think what the Nordic countries have discovered and what you, you can see in America and other places is that you know entrepreneurs don't go into business because of just money. And they, they create and build and make stuff even when taxes are high. Less, but they still do. Uh, and... Um, you know, that is so, – so that balance of allowing – I mean, production – economically, production is the key, right? So th the idea that, um, that you allow producers to produce is to a large extent what Scandinavians figured out. And they basically leave business alone. So if you look at Denmark, for example, Denmark regulates its businesses less – than the United States of America does. It's just regulations. I, a friend of mine ran a, a bank in Scandinavia, and he had, bran he had branches all over the world. But the one country he would not have anything to do with was the United States of America because it was much more regulated than Europe, Asia, and a lot of these other countries. So, um, I, you know, so in, in that sense, now Scandinavia could be doing a lot better if it, if it lowered taxes, if it deregulated more. Also, governments, they're more responsible. They're less inclined to deficit spend at, at the rate that Americans and others are. And, and Scandinavians work hard, um, and, and they produce in spite of it. So now, again, I think if you had open borders between Scandinavia and the United States, a lot of Scandinavians would leave and go and work in Silicon Valley because they're ambitious and, and, and they're successful. So, um, but it's, um, the Scandinavians have figured out how to not kill the golden goose. Now, they've still got problems, and this, those problems will continue to fester, and long-term, it's an equilibrium that's not sustainable. But of all the countries in Europe, certainly, I think they're in the best condition, them and maybe the Netherlands. And... Globally, I think they're some of the better countries in the world, right? Together with maybe the UK, Ireland, and New Zealand. Right? Those are kind of the best countries today for business. And as a consequence, for sustainable economic models going into the future. It, none of them are sustainable completely because it's not an equilibrium when you have such a big welfare state. But in the near future, these countries will probably do better than the rest of the world. Okay, quickly, Noel says, saw you first on PJTV. That's a long time ago, man. Uh, now I'm enjoying your shows. Thank you. Thank you for following, and thank you for the contribution. Really appreciate it. Ashley asks, do you think the elections will be followed by riots? Either way it goes. Um, no, I actually don't. I think at the end of the day, Americans will respect the process. 
I think I think you might get riots on the left if Trump wins by the tiniest of margins, loses the popular vote by a big margin, but wins the electoral college by the tiniest of margins. Then I could imagine riots. If Trump loses by a tiny margin, and if Trump says that it's fraud, okay, so maybe I'm changing my mind as I'm speaking, and Trump says that it's fraud, then you could see some violence on the right. If Trump loses by a big margin, then no, there'll be no violence. Because the right will just accept that Trump lost. It's the, this is what's so dangerous about what Trump is doing right now. By talking about postponing the election. By talking about mail-in ballots as being somehow corrupt. By talking about the possibility that this will be a stolen election. Trump is basically setting it all up for um, a contested election where he loses by a small margin. And um, where then people on the right bring weapons to the demonstrations. And it, you know, and I think at the end, you could see real bloodshed because you could see the, the, the U.S. military have to evacuate Trump from the White House and then them clashing with demonstrations. I mean, it could, it could get really ugly. But uh, one of the reasons I think he should lose big is that it's not contested. Because I think with Trump in the, in the White House, a contested election, a close election, it just could – I mean, who knows what he would do? I don't know what he would do. I really do not know what he would do. This is how far he is from kind of the, the American way of doing things. Where typically, with almost every president, even Obama – I had a really good sense of, okay, this is what would happen. Vonda, thank you. Uh, really appreciate it. Everybody's coming out at kind of at that last minute on the show. But Simon has just kicked us up to the uh, most lucrative uh, super chat in history. I mean, uh, we're on, uh, I don't know, let's say, I would say, um, I don't know, I haven't done the math. Somebody might have done the math, but I haven't done the math. Uh, it's a significant amount of money. It's 700, 800, you know, close to a thousand bucks. Close to, th- if somebody pops in and does a hundred dollars now, I think we're over a thousand and that will, and so this is by far will be, uh, the best ever. So thank you, Simon. Look forward to seeing you in Iceland. Uh, thanks all of you, uh, for uh, being on the show and for listening. And remember before you leave to like the show or not like the show, just, just engage. Engagement is good. Um, and uh, share, and of course, you can uh, you can also do uh, support the show. There we go, there we go. That'll put us over a thousand without any question. Thanks, you Shazbot, Shazbot. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but <laughs> I don't know what it means. But uh, thank you. Uh, seen once upon a time in Hollywood yet? No, but it's still on my list to see. So uh, I will comment when uh, when we get there. Thank you all. Have a great weekend. I'll be back tomorrow. So we'll, we'll be doing a show tomorrow. Um, can't promise to go two hours again tomorrow, but we will do a show tomorrow. And I'm not exactly sure on the timing, so pay attention. Click that bell next to the subscribe, and that way you'll get a notification when I go live. But it'll either be in the, early, in the afternoon or it'll be again at 8 p.m. But I, I'm just, you know, we'll see. 
we'll see what happens tomorrow, uh, and we'll see what kind of topics we cover tomorrow. So thanks, everybody. Um, really, really appreciate your participation and your support. See you all tomorrow. Bye.